0: Hey everyone, I'm Thanos Davelis, and welcome back to The Greek Current, a podcast by the Hellenic American Leadership Council and Kathy Merini, where we highlight the top stories of the day every afternoon with analysis from guest experts, policymakers, journalists, and health staff. The Ecumenical Patriarch and the Greek State both sent complaints to Turkey in the wake of footage showing a DJ playing electronic music at the historic UNESCO-listed Monastery of Panagia Sumela. Ecumenical Patriarch Bartholomew described the incident as an insult and said that holding the event was incompatible with the monastery's religious character and its history. Greece added that the move adds to a series of actions by Turkish authorities against world heritage sites. Dr. Elizabeth Prodromu joins The Greek Current to discuss why this latest incident at Sumela Monastery is significant and how it fits into a broader pattern of disrespect, destruction, and appropriation of minority cultural heritage by Turkey. Dr. Elizabeth Prodromu is an internationally recognized leader on issues of religion and human rights and a previous vice chair and commissioner on the U.S. Commission on International Religious Freedom. Dr. Prodromo is also a faculty member at the Fletcher School of Law and Diplomacy, where she directs the initiative on religion, law, and diplomacy. Elizabeth, welcome back on The Greek Current.
1: Hey, good afternoon, Thanos. It's great to be back with you. Thanks for having me.
0: Elizabeth, why has this incident at the monastery of Panagia Sumela caused such an uproar?
1: Well, the monastery itself occupies a very important position in Orthodox Christian heritage, but also more broadly in terms of the early Christian church and overall Christian history. There's a lot packed into the single incident. It's worth taking the time to unpack it. But I think the key things are that the episode that happened where a DJ and a production group actually staged a musical production there that went viral on social media sites. And that consequently resulted in letters sent from ecumenical patriarch Bartholomew to Turkey's culture and tourism minister Mehmet Nuri Ersoy. The outcry is really about not only the site itself, but also about the intersection between cultural religious heritage protection, human rights and religious freedom protections, and geopolitics.
0: Can you give our listeners some brief background on the significance of Panagya Sumela?
1: So the monastery itself goes back to the late 4th century, and its location on the southeast coast of the Black Sea, and the historic province of Trebizond, or today's Trabzon province in Turkey is in a region that's home to the Pontic Greek or Black Sea Greek population there. The site eventually was emptied in 1923, and that was during the population exchange between Greece and Turkey under the Treaty of Lausanne. But that emptying itself was part of a process of genocide against the Ottoman Empire's Christian populations that had started in the 1890s and culminated in the 1922-23 events. So, you know, that was a decades-long process that actually has been meticulously documented in the seminal work of Israeli scholars, Benny Morris and Doraziv. So the site itself is a site of remembrance for Turkey's Christian populations when it comes to the country's founding moment of genocide and the failure to protect the site, including what is this most recent sort of insult and what has been called the desecration of the site through the musical event, is seen as just one more action by a Turkish state that does not treat its citizens equally, particularly when it comes to its non-Sunni and Christian minorities.
0: Looking at this incident, how does it fit into the broader pattern of Turkey's disrespect, destruction, and appropriation of Orthodox cultural heritage, which we've seen not only inside Turkey, but also in places like Turkish-occupied Cyprus?
1: Well, Fano, that's a great question, because again, the latest Sumala incident or episode becomes a sort of indicator and a paradigm for what we see In general. And I think, again, it's worth underscoring that Turkey as a NATO member and a candidate country for EU membership is obligated to take cultural and religious protection seriously as part of the values that are associated with democracy and universal human rights. And also with Turkey as an executive board member of UNESCO is particularly obligated and has a responsibility to uphold the UNESCO mission. And what we saw at Sumala and what we saw two years ago with the reversion of Hagia Sophia to an active mosque and the designation of the quarter church also as a new mosque or reverted to a mosque speaks to this broader pattern. If we look outside of Turkey and Turkish-occupied Cyprus, widely documented violations of destruction of cultural heritage, looting of cultural heritage. We see it as well in the sections of Syria that are now occupied by Turkish military. And wherever the Turkish military footprint is and Turkish state authorities are located, we see a pattern of destruction of cultural and religious heritage. And this is what some people call the performance of social forgetting, because the destruction of the sites is also accompanied by the uprooting and the destruction, and oftentimes the disappearance of the communities that utilize that site. And this speaks to this organic connection between a tangible cultural heritage, and intangible practices, and the sustainability of religious and cultural minority communities. And what we've seen in the behavior of the Turkish state, both inside Turkey and certainly in Turkish-occupied Cyprus and northern Syria, is a pattern of either destruction and looting or appropriation that leads to this erasure and also these performances of social forgetting.
0: President Erdogan has repeatedly referred to Sumela Monastery's restoration as a symbol of Turkey's commitment to protecting its non-Muslim heritage. But given what you've just described, Elizabeth, is it safe to say that this is simply a performative act to demonstrate internationally that Ankara is making religious freedom improvements?
1: Yes, I think that's unfortunately the case. Sumela Monastery has been instrumentalized in a very, very cynical ploy by the Ankara government as part of its broader efforts to use cultural and religious heritage to suggest that the state treats its religious minorities as equal citizens rather than as separate and unequal. So the glass half full on Sumela is that in 2010, for the first time since the establishment of the Turkish Republic in 1923, the Ecumenical Patriarchate was permitted to hold a liturgy there on August 15th. And I think that's important for us to point out a single liturgy, but that was highly mediatized by the Turkish state and used to demonstrate the Turkish state's commitment to protecting cultural heritage. Two years later, the Turkish state then undertook extensive renovations at the Sumerla site, and it wasn't until 2020 and then 2021 that the ecumenical Patriarchate was then invited, of course, under raging pandemic conditions, which made it impossible to safely celebrate there to celebrate yet another liturgy. And we've seen this not only with the Sumerla Monastery, but again, it's indicative of a broader pattern. The Turkish authorities undertook the same kind of performative approach to the Armenian Apostolic Church's Akhtemar Monastery in the Van region of Turkey. They've done the same thing when it comes to the Syriac Orthodox Church that was authorized to celebrate a divine liturgy and two of their recently renovated churches in the Mardin region of Turkey. But in all of these cases, what happens is that there's a high mediatization of the events. They're one-off events, and they are instrumentalized by the Turkish state to try to show through cosmetic means that there's actually respect for freedom of conscience and belief, freedom of religion, and quite the opposite is true. I think it's worth pointing out, too, that we have another example of this that fits into the sumer probe trope and what the Turkish state has done, and that was the most recent highly mediatized meeting in December 2021 between Turkey's President Erdogan and the Alliance of Rabbis and Islamic States. That meeting, I think, really threw into sharp relief the quite grotesque cynicism of This regime in Turkey, but more broadly the Turkish state, when Erdogan met with the group in his Ottoman-esque style presidential palace to advance his overall charm offensive, to utilize those kinds of meetings and discussions about cultural and religious heritage in order to repair Turkey's quite damaged public and international brand. And at that meeting, for example, he called Holocaust denial a crime. But this is from a leader who has perpetuated blood libel discourse against the Jewish people. And going back to Turkish-occupied Cyprus, where the Turkish occupation regime and the local authorities have presided over the destruction of Jewish cemeteries and other Jewish heritage sites. So, again, the recent episode at Sumela speaks to this broader pattern of performative actions that are designed to make societies forget by erasing these sites or appropriating them for Turkish state policy, and to be part of a kind of cosmetic, external, superficial charm offensive that is designed to reposition Turkey within the good graces of an international community that more and more is highly critical of the Ankara government. So the most recent sumer event in that regard is really an indicator of this broader pattern, these kind of ugly performative spectacles, that in many ways instrumentalize not only sites, but the vulnerable communities that remain connected to these sites. And the pressures that are imposed on the ecumenical patriarch himself, on the Armenian patriarch, on the Grand Rabbi of Istanbul, on the patriarch of the Syriac Christian community, these pressures make an effort to even instrumentalize the individuals as representatives of their community. So there's a really kind of grotesque and ugly cynicism at work here.
0: Elizabeth, complaints were sent over this incident to the Turkish Ministry of Culture and Tourism, which administers the site of Sumela Monastery. Over the years, however, we've seen management of cultural heritage sites shift from the Ministry of Culture to the Diyanet, which is Turkey's Directorate of Religious Affairs. Why is this shift problematic?
1: Well, as you mentioned, Ecumenical Patriarch Bartholomew sent a letter of complaint to Turkey's Culture and Tourism Minister Mehmet Nuri Ersoy. I think it's worth underscoring that the minister tried to sort of hand off responsibility to the local authorities in Trabzon. He said that permission was granted by the office of the governor and that there had been no consultation with Ankara. Even if that's the case, the local authorities still represent the Turkish state. And I think that's very important because here you see a kind of who's on first maneuver by Ankara. The fact of the matter is, again, it's the Turkish state as a whole that is presiding over these actions. So that's something important to keep in mind. And then when it goes to the Diyanet, historically, the Ministry of Culture and Tourism and the Diyanet have managed heritage sites inside Turkey. But under the Erdogan government, there's been a real shift in responsibility from the Ministries of Culture and Tourism over to the Diyanet. And that is part of the broader kind of strategy of the neo-Ottomanization of Turkey. And heritage figures quite prominently in that. The Erdogan government is trying to utilize these universal cultural heritage sites as part of positioning Turkey as what they say is the leader of the Muslim world. The Diyanet is the tip of the spear on that. And the fact of the matter is that when it comes to UNESCO sites, the Diyanid's encroachment on those sites speaks to the reinforcement of a separate and unequal status for the country's non-Sunni religious minorities. And I think probably the most emblematic example of that was two summers ago when the Hagia Sophia began functioning as a mosque and the grand imam of the Dianet ascended the Minbar with a sort of conquest, as he described it, speaking again about the second conquest of the Ayya and reiterating this point that under the Dianet, the country's non-Sunni religious communities are seen as not only separate, but completely unequal in a hierarchy of order that places them at the largesse of the goodwill of the Turkish state, or even more specifically, the goodwill of the Turkish president. So it speaks to the vulnerability of these communities in terms of the Dianets' appropriation of responsibility over the properties.
0: The Biden administration has made it a point, at least publicly, to put human rights at the center of its foreign policy. Do you think there's a role for the United States, especially when it comes to responding to the incident at Sumela Monastery?
1: I do. I think it's very important for the administration to back up its publicly stated commitments about centering human rights as part of U.S. foreign policy with action. And I think in the case of Sumerla Monastery, it offers an opportunity for the administration to do something that it didn't do, and that is to designate Turkey as a country of particular concern in terms of its violations of freedom of thought, conscience, belief, freedom of religion. And it would send a very strong message to Turkey as a NATO ally, that that kind of behavior, the violations of its human rights obligation, is something that the United States won't tolerate. So whether it's designating them as a country of particular concern according to international religious freedom legislation in the United States, or whether it's at the very least, communication from the new international religious freedom ambassador, Rashad Hussein, whether it's a communication from the US Commission on International Religious Freedom to the Turkish government. There are a whole host of diplomatic tools at the disposal of the United States government, but saying nothing amounts to being complicit in these actions by the Turkish state. And at a time when cultural heritage more and more is understood as important, not only for historical memory, but also for the sustainability of local communities and for the support for religious and cultural pluralism, in societies that presumably are rule of law democratic societies, I think it's absolutely imperative for the United States not to remain silent and not to limit its actions to simple discourse.
0: Elizabeth, what does this episode at Sumela tell us about you know Turkish society and politics at large, especially as we're looking at a turkey that is gearing up for presidential elections next year?
1: I think it's important to think about past and future. And unfortunately, what we're seeing now for the last two decades in terms of the Erdogan government's approach to cultural and religious heritage, that's not an aberration from the long-standing pattern that was established and consolidated under Kemalist governments before Erdogan was elected in November 2002. So that's simply to say that the processes of either cultural heritage destruction or cultural heritage appropriation and expropriation are ones that were established quite early, quite immediately, in fact, after the establishment of the Turkish state. So if there are presidential elections, as predicted in 2023 in Turkey, and we see a post-Erdogan government in Turkey or a post-Erdogan Turkey, I think it offers an opportunity for a break with a century-long pattern that unfortunately has been marked by continuity. I'm not optimistic about that kind of a change because, as I said, the policies of the Erdogan government are ones that were established and inherited from the previous so-called secular regimes of the Kemalists. And those regimes themselves have never respected the cultural and religious heritage autonomy of the country's religious minority communities, certainly not of the ecumenical Patriarchate and the Greek Orthodox community, but this applies more broadly. And instead, they have utilized cultural heritage to promote Turkey as a UNESCO member, Turkey as a protector of universal human rights, all the while instrumentalizing that heritage in ways that has led gradually, systematically to the near erasure of those communities. So I hope, certainly, that a post-Erdogan government might change the pattern. But that's going to be a very heavy lift. It means a change in a century-long set of policies. It means the political will and courage that goes along with that. And it also means, quite candidly, a change in the way in which Turkish society understands difference within society. And I think here the statement of the DJ who actually organized the event at Sumela is quite instructive because he said, you know, that in fact he meant no disrespect by the event at Sumela, But the fact of the matter is that Any Turkish citizen who would know the country's history would recognize that this is a site that is important in terms of the country's history and founding moment of genocide, and that by staging an entertainment event there, it would at least bring pain and reiterative trauma to the community that suffered genocide, and at most reflects a failure to respect the importance of sacred sites for all of the country's citizens. So, a post Erdogan Turkey will require a big shift on the part of the state, but also a big shift in terms of socialization and what we might call cultural and religious literacy amongst the Turkish citizenry as a whole.
0: Elizabeth, thanks again for joining us on the Greek Current. It's great speaking with you.
1: Thank you, Fano. Thanks for having me, and thanks for giving attention to this issue.
0: In other news, following in the footsteps of other European countries, Greece's government is gearing up for the gradual lifting of its few remaining COVID-19 measures by March, with an eye on fully opening up the economy. There are likely to be no restrictive measures other than the use of a mask. The lifting of measures applies exclusively to vaccinated people, and all restrictions, like entering indoor areas, and all restrictions, such as entering indoor areas, will remain for the unvaccinated. A full opening of the economy is expected from mid-March. The government will also have to contend with another potential problem, as around 300,000 Greeks who did not get booster shots of the COVID-19 vaccine seven months after their second dose are considered unvaccinated. Finally, the repatriations of migrants who have had their asylum applications rejected is essential to easing overcrowding and reducing violence at the Purnara migrant reception camp, Cyprus's interior minister Nikos Nouris said. His comments came after 35 migrants suffered minor wounds during an altercation between rival groups of migrants at the camp. Cypriot authorities say rising migrant arrivals are pushing the small island's capacity to host them to its limits. Nudi said that 85% of asylum seekers entered Cyprus from the Turkish-occupied northern part of the island, crossing the UN-controlled buffer zone to file their claims. Top EU officials will visit Cyprus in the next few weeks to inspect conditions along the buffer zone. That wraps up today's episode of The Greek Current. Thanks for tuning in.